So I probably told you this, but one of my favorite saints is Saint Bridget of Ireland. So I have a strange devotion to her. Um, she was actually baptized by Saint Patrick, but she was this great mystic. Now, I just feel that she doesn't give the credit. She's not giving the credit she deserves because yes, Saint Patrick goes and he evangelizes Ireland, but he baptizes Bridget and Bridget is the one that got Ireland organized. Um, and so it's just a trait of Irish women that they take control and start to run everything. And Bridget really did um, set up all these monasteries, but um, so I just don't feel like she got her credit, but um, she was this great mystic. And one of her mystical experiences I really like where Ireland at the time would have been very rural, uh, more like the Native Americans. Um, but she's in this empty meadow next to a lake and she's praying and she says to God, God, please show me heaven. And God says, I can't show you heaven. It's so much different than anything you can imagine, but I can show you what heaven is like. And then in the empty meadow was filled with this fiery dew. Now, for the ancient Celts, uh, fire was a sign of God, except Bridget said the fiery dew was God and the fire was everywhere. And then suddenly in the fire appeared hundreds and hundreds of people and they were laughing and dancing and all sharing this great feast. And the vision ends by her saying it and it all happened next to a lake full of beer because um, for the Irish beer, is and was um, a sign of great joy. So, um, but the problem is then the vision ends and she's back in the empty meadow and she gets what it means. So she would tell her monks and nuns, um, she said, don't live your life in pettiness or anger or revenge or selfishness. You're cutting yourself off from this great feast of love. And I like this, that she believed that like, all of us, right here now, you're living in communion with all those who have died. Somehow your life and their life still intersects. You wanna make sure that you live your life so free from anger and pettiness that you're part of the, that great feast of love. And after she had that vision of that great feast of love, she had to make sure everyone in Ireland uh, gets to this feast of love. But not only that, uh, this sounds kind of strange, um, Northern Europe gets evangelized through Ireland. Ireland, oddly enough, was one of the first places evangelized. So really how how Europe was converted was kind of like a big pincer movement up from Rome, but then from Ireland, Northern Europe came together and just encircled this great conversion. But Bridget, after that, Everybody has to be in this great feast of love. In the same way she was frantic about that, in the parable, you have kind of the same thing. The parable, you have this king that is frantic to make sure that his wedding feast is absolutely full. Now, wedding feast is kind of a big symbol in the Bible. So I'm gonna talk about that. So like, the Bible starts with a wedding. Um, and then you have this prophecy that when the Christ comes, he will wed us, uh, that God, the Christ will wed us to God. So the prophets speak about this 
coming wedding when the Christ comes. So when Christ does come at the Last Supper, what is Christ wearing at the Last Supper? If you read in Greek, what is he wearing? Yes, this side got it. I am worried about you people. Um, he's wearing a wedding dress. The cup that we use at mass is a wedding symbol. We are getting married to love itself. And then if you look in the book of Revelation, uh, all the saints and angels, they're in the great wedding feast to the Lamb of God. Um, so uh, wedding is a big symbol. So now that explains the first reading is about this mountain. The mountain of God is where the wedding is gonna take place. The mountain of God is a symbol of heaven. Heaven is pictured as a mountain, but on earth, the mountain of God is Mount Zion. So just wanna talk about that. Mount Zion, that's where the temple was. The Jews believe that the first ray of sunlight that ever hit the earth, first hit the earth on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is where everything important happens in the Bible. That's where God promised Abraham, one day I will send the Lamb of God that will set everybody free and unite everybody together. For you to have, if you're Jewish, an authentic Passover, the Lamb of God have to be taken to Mount Zion to the temple. All sacrifices happened at Mount Zion. So the prophet gets this vision that um, one day, the veil that veils all people, God will pull back. And all people, it says five times, all people will be invited to uh, the mountain of God, uh, which is heaven. All people. And there God will wed his people and give them the finest meal. So it's the same image of St. Bridget, if you get it. But notice, five times, it's all people that God will wed. So Christ tells this parable. Now, Christ tells this parable to the priests and the Pharisees who think that they're so religious. And the parable is kind of interesting because... Um, now, just back up on Mount Zion. I forgot this because I told this to the religious ed kids last week. Do you know why in a Catholic church, in this... This sounds strange. Why, when you walk up the altar, there's usually either three or seven steps up to every altar? Anybody know why? Oh, okay. Apparently, you didn't go to the religious ed kids. Um, the altar symbolizes that you're climbing Mount Zion. Does that make sense? You're climbing the mountain of God to go to heaven. It is work, but... We're climbing up to heaven, to the great feast of heaven. That's why there's always steps in front of an altar. Um, and, and anyhow, I love that, that um, we're working our way up. So that's why there's steps in front of an altar. But back to the parable. Um, the parable is this king wants to throw a wedding. And the king invites everybody. Now, when it, in those days, you didn't have like written invitations, what somebody would do is send their servants out and give you the save the date. Then later, before the feast, uh, servants would go out again and invite you, here's the exact time and place. So he sends the servants out two times. So I, just in case you haven't got it, we're the servants of the invitation. We're the ones who are supposed to, like St. Bridget, trying to get everybody to the feast. But the second time they go out, people aren't interested in the feast. 
They don't accept the invitation. And you can just hear the incredulity of the king. Like, what? I invited them to the feast and they're not coming? It's not BYOB. I will supply everything. I'm supplying everything. I've done everything and they still won't come? And that's when he says to the servants, go into the byways, the highways, the hedgerows. Um, get everybody to my feast. The good, the bad, invite everybody. So I love that. And the people that didn't come, what they suffered from was indifference. That they weren't really that concerned about the great wedding feast. They're more concerned about, you know, their daily life or, you know, business or playing pickleball. But the great feast of love, they were indifferent to. So just want to pause there for a second because I just finished this book, Dechurched. It was really kind of boring. But it was kind of interesting. It wasn't about the Catholic Church. It was about the evangelical church, which is dying. Actually, all mainline churches are dying. Um, but the evangelical church is dying, so they did this big study on why people are dying. And some people, they have been hurt by religion, admittedly. But you know the number one reason why people become dechurched, especially after COVID? Just really kind of laziness. That they said, I, our lives are too busy. We don't have time. Um, and when they said they're too busy, the response back is, but you spend 10 hours uh, a week on social media is the average person. You have time for social media, but not one hour for a church. And so the, the parable is kind of right, that some people are just indifferent. Um, now, I do love this. So it's going to be a point. But we're supposed to be the servants that want everybody, like St. Bridget, to get to this great feast of love. But then it has this twist. So he invites everybody, and there's this really weird part, and hopefully you caught it, where the king is walking around, and he sees somebody not in a wedding dress, not in a wedding garment. And he says, friend, how did you get in here? And he has them thrown out bound hand and feet into the darkness for the wailing and gnashing of teeth. And you kind of think, holy cow, that's kind of weird. You invite somebody to a wedding and then you bind them and kick them out just because you didn't like the way they were dressed. But what you have to understand at the time period, if you throw a wedding feast, the king would supply you with the wedding dress. You just have to take the effort to put it on. So it's given to you. You just have to go to the trouble of putting it on. Um, and that sounds kind of strange. There's a certain indifference that, oh, I'll take the invitation, but I'll never really put it on. I'm not going to go to that much trouble. Like, I, honest to God, I'm telling you a story now. Segway. There's this Italian woman, a real Italian woman. And she was a grandmother of our parish, always super, super classy. Dressed really great. And... The odd part is that I had her funeral and she wanted her grandchildren to um, be the pallbearers, but one granddaughter who was actually, I talked to her because I thought she was kind of, had to check this out. She shows up to church wearing running shorts and a tank top. And I was like, well, that's a little unusual, especially, especially given who your grandmother was. So I was talking to her and she says, yeah, I went for a run and I just decided for my run, I'd run to the church. But she was dressed like that. And then she was a pallbearer. And she was a nice person, but 
like the funeral wasn't going to interfere with her run or her outfit. Aren't you kind of surprised by that? Like, wow, a little indifferent. So the point being is that that's like the wedding where you're given the garment. You just have to take a little bit of effort to put it on. And what does that wedding garment symbolize? Hopefully you know. The wedding garment symbolizes that you've put on love in your life. You've been given the invitation. You've been given love. You just have to put it on. That's why like at baptism, we wrap the kid in white cloth. Do you remember that? That's a wedding garment. So it's technically a wedding dress is what you're, when you get baptized, you get a wedding dress. So that's what like this symbolizes. It's a wedding dress. All of us are invited to this great wedding feast. You just have to put the effort onto love. So yes, being church is really a way of life. Um, It's saying yes to the dress. That there was a TV show like that once. Um, Never saw it, but I liked the line. But the point, you say yes by living this life of love. So when he finds him, like, ah, you accepted the invitation, but you never put on any love. And then the parable turns violent, where he's bound and thrown in the darkness. So why does the parable turn violent? Because the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus keeps making this point that indifference to life, indifference to love, is a form of violence. And violence only begets more and more violence. But it starts with indifference. So there's this pause in the wedding feast. And those who did violence, who never put on love, they're thrown out. And so you have this contrast. Um, You never wanted any unity with other people? Fine. Your reward is to be bound in isolation. You're never concerned about putting on love? Fine. Be in the cold and the dark. Um, So there's this, I hate to say this, this kind of scary part where if you really care about answering the feast of love, uh, you put on love. Now, the point being is this. Who is Jesus giving this parable to? He's giving this parable to the chief priests and the Pharisees. They think they're so religious. But there's two types of people, he's saying. You think you're really religious. But the reason why the priests are super religious, or the Pharisees, it gives them power. They're little dictators who love to, in this authoritarianism, tell people who's rejected and what's wrong with you, and you should, you know. Their sense of religion is just authoritarianism. That's the same thing as somebody who's completely indifferent to religion. It's just more violence. The opposite is the kingdom of heaven. That the servants of the invitation, they want to make sure that everybody feels love. That everybody is invited to this great feast of love. Um, We're supposed to be servants of the invitation. So going back to like St. Bridget, she has this great vision of what heaven is like. This great feast of love. Uh, That's what the first reading prophecy is about. That's what the parable is about. We should all be like the frantic king that we want everybody involved in this great feast of love. Um, we want to be that fr- frantic. Um, it's one thing to say, yes, God loves me. It's another to put on the garment of love. That's what real religion does. The ones who want to say that they're religious, but religion is about power, control. What Christ is saying is that is not religion. 
that is just another form of indifference. What we're supposed to be is show the world, like St. Bridget, I want everybody in the great feast of love. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.